Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. This is a special episode where Alan Major, college basketball coach and CEO Peter Fuller hosts two former professional athletes, now entrepreneurs, David West and Gary Brackett. David West played in the NBA from 2003 to 2018. He played for the Hornets, Pacers, Spurs, and the Golden State Warriors, where he was a two-time NBA champion. Gary Brackett played his entire NFL career for the Indianapolis Colts, where he was a Super Bowl champion. As an undrafted free agent out of Rutgers University, he became a starter and key player for the Colts during his time in the NFL. We're honored to host this episode on Sports Epreneur. This episode is all about colliding sports and entrepreneurship. And with that, here's Coach Alan Major. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of the Locker Room and the Boardroom podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to draw championship and successful connections between the sport and the business world. And we're very excited about this. My name is Alan Major. Our guests will be uh, David West and uh, Gary Brackett. And so this will be our first time that we're doing this. We're going to have various guests in upcoming episodes, something we're extremely excited about. So my co-host here, Peter Fuller, if you'd like to introduce yourself, Absolutely. go right ahead. Yeah, thanks for coming up with this idea, Alan. This is a fantastic podcast. I'm really excited to be part of the first one here. So like I said, I'm Peter Fuller, uh, founder of uh, Catapult.ai and the 86 Executive Club, and really excited to be here. So I'm going to introduce our first guest, David West. I've known David, I guess, wow, <laughs> start counting the years, man. This might be year 20 right here, right? Yeah. So was fortunate enough to coach David at Xavier University and, and have maintained a friendship ever since. David had a 15-year career in the NBA. He's an all-time leading scorer at Xavier, jerseys in the rafters. He's a two-time NBA champion with the Golden State Warriors, a multiple all-star in the NBA. And so now he is enjoying retired life and chasing his kids around and still wearing a lot of hats, but uh, very thankful to have him on. And so, Peter, you uh, want to introduce other guests? Absolutely excited to be sitting here with Gary Brackett. Gary, you've won the NFL Super Bowl. You've been with the Colts for eight seasons. You named yourself the Chief Defensive Officer of the Indianapolis Colts, a billion-dollar organization. <laughs> uh, in addition to everything else you've got, I love your office here. You've got tons of trophies. We're going to talk about that too. The conference room, everything's really cool here, so people can see that. But in addition to the Colts, you just leapt out and went straight into the business world. And so mm -hmm. from CDO to CEO of lots of different organizations, including restaurants. And now you're an amazing business coach. You've got a huge practice and you're well known for your podcast and many of the different lessons and classes and, and things that you put together and train you put together. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, fantastic. So I'm excited. So I've got the first question for you, Gary. Okay. So we've talked about this concept of the seven business drivers with the first one being the individual. I know that's very, very important to you. And the last one being growth. And we'll probably hit some of those drivers out and mm -hmm. go through. Mm -hmm. But 
I was just curious, as you were a CDO, obviously mm-hmm. self-management, before you managed everything that was on your plate with the Colts and team and everything like that, you had to take care of yourself. Yeah. Right. How important was that then? And then what aspects of that did you bring in from CDO to CEO? And then a follow-up question is going to be, how do you recommend or why do you recommend you know, people, especially CEOs who have you know, some of the worst, highest rates of addiction, suicide, all this stuff, right. all these problems, really focus on themselves in line with business? I think it's interesting because so many people were taught to really double down on your strengths and CEOs really did a, a good job. Right. And, you know, they made a lot of money, you know, rose to the top. But at what sacrifice? Right. Your family, your health, your spirituality. Right. So I believe now we're moving to a society where you really have to be more mindful. Right. And looking at not only your business acumen, but looking at your physical, like, are you physically fit? Are you healthy? What's your spiritual life like? And I was just blessed growing up middle class. And my mom just told me, you know, grew up in a church, how important it was to just take control of what you could control. And my father, early age, he told me an important lesson is never let anyone's perception become your reality. So for me, my reality was always that I belonged and that if I put in the work, you know, I could succeed. So transferring to being a CDO, right? Middle linebacker, captain of a Super Bowl championship team showing up, I was a free agent. So, you know, I'm talking to guys that were first-round picks, potential Hall of Famers. Mm. And for me, I never felt like I was out of place. Oh. I always felt like I was being authentic because I put the work in. Yeah. Had I not put the work in, I would have felt like a fraud because mm-hmm. now I'm telling you guys something that I'm not doing. But when I'm saying run to the ball, when I'm saying watch film, when I'm saying, you know, do these things on the field, it's not theory, right? It's because I'm actually doing these things and yeah. I'm succeeding in them. So I think that's just important. Like when you're being a leader, For me, I was never intimidated by coaching, by giving back, because my goal was always not to create more followers, but to create more leaders. Mm. It's a heavy burden to carry if you're the only leader in the organization. You need other people to step up. So my goal, my angle was always like, hey, I'm telling you, I'm giving you the game because I need help. When everyone is pulling in the right direction, you got a powerful organization. Yeah. How does that look like now in the world that you're in? So obviously you mastered it as a player. Mm Mm-hmm. Now you've had to transfer that into this business world. So what does that look like now in terms of how do you structure your day? How do you lead yourself? Because now you're in a different area. No question. I mean, so for me, it's about setting myself up with like goals that I want to achieve. And then my daily activities are either taking me closer to my goal or bringing me farther away. So my decisions that I make, right, based on principle are always easy. Like, is this decision to say yes to this podcast, is this decision to say yes to this board, right. to say yes to this engagement, is this bringing me closer to my goals or farther away? Yeah. Well, if you don't have, yeah, if no you don't have a ground. vision for your life, right, so many people feel like, oh, I'm dragging, I don't got enough time. I got plenty of time because mm-hmm. I'm going to accept what I want to accept and I'm gonna, all money ain't good money. So I'm not afraid to walk away from something <laughs> not aligned with what I'm trying to do. So for me, like, life is a lot simpler just because I live my life off goals based on my vision and based on my core values. And then it just become easy to kind of make decisions. Yeah, excellent. I love that. And Dave, I want to ask you the same question, similar question, right? You are really perceived as a leader. How did you transfer your self-management into what you're doing? How important was that? When you were, especially during playing career. Yeah, during playing career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, for me, it was always, you know, leading by example, similar to what Gary just articulated. Always getting to practice and getting to work, having a certain edge and seriousness about the way I approach my professional career, 
and just knowing that everybody's time is valuable. That's the most important thing, particularly at the professional level, is guys have family, wives. You don't want anybody, you know, wasting one another's time. That's one of the best ways you can show respect for an individual is, is to respect their time. And so when we would come into the gym, we'd come to work, we were there to work. So I always pride myself on carrying myself a certain way, taking what we did um, absolutely serious. And no leaving leaving room to be yourself and you know, leaving room to be be human being. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we always had a job to do. And I, you know, I always carried myself that way. From the time I came in the NBA, I was a part of a young rebuild in New Orleans and you know, sort of had to grow up pretty quickly in my second and third year, try to start getting the franchise back on track. So there was a certain level of respect that I commanded because I demanded it of myself. It wasn't, it wasn't any time to waste. There was no time to, to mess around. Ultimately, if I was on time and on the plane on time, at the bus on time, getting to shoot around and carrying myself in a serious manner, mm-hmm. everybody else had to do the same. So we were able to lead by example. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're the most talented or the best player on the team or anything like that. It's more so about knowing what it takes, having a certain demeanor about yourself that people have to respect. Yeah. And Dave, let me add to that just real quick before we move on to the next topic. But you had that, at least I was around you for two years in college. I thought you had it then. And you probably realized in the NBA that you really had to have it maybe at that level. But I thought you had it then in college because you kind of established that nature from the day that we got there, our staff got there, and you had already been there for two years. So when did it really hit you? Because you already had it, I thought, in college. I think the pro probably magnified the need for it. Well, it probably started in New Orleans when we basically made it, you know, took it upon ourselves. We were, my second year, the team was injured, and I missed about 55, 60 games. And the following year, we drafted Chris Paul, and we had a conversation with Coach Scott, who was our head coach at the time, and he really just said, hey, man, you know, it's going to be on you two guys to get this franchise back in, into the playoffs and in the playoff hunt. Mm. So I went from averaging about maybe the 15 or 20 games, whatever it was I played my second year, averaged about five or six points a game to averaging about 17, 18 points a game my third year. Mm-hmm. And just felt like, you know, I had to lead by example, bringing it every night. Yeah. I had to carve out a space for myself, but also knew that the team needed me. We had some young guys we were trying to bring along, even though I was only a third year guy, I was still trying to bring along young guys. Mm-hmm. When I got to Indy, that was amplified even more because I was an eight-year, nine-year vet. Yep. I had a team full of guys that didn't know how to win, didn't know how to prepare the right way every day. To right. right. Looking toward the playoffs. So it, it was amplified probably most in Indy because mm. the stakes were pretty high. Wow. You know, we wanted to win. We had to have a certain demeanor. The NBA season is a long year, so yeah. you know, you've got to be able to endure the emotional ups and downs, the physical ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But you can only do it by going through it and having guys on the team and guys in the locker room that understand how to do it. Yeah. And having that level of consistency yourself. Right. You're not giving what you don't have. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's something that Gary said I wanted to just throw out. Yeah, go ahead. Seeing these two talk about it, it I thought it was really important. Leadership is the second driver. And Gary, you mentioned the subject of 
you created leaders, not followers. Mm. I think, Dave, you're saying that as well. So I love just how did you create leaders and not followers? Because that's one of the things CEOs struggle with is they have an idea, especially owner operators who created the companies from the first phone call. Yeah. They want to hire followers to actually execute. And then you get to that point where that's not working anymore. That's not good for growth. So you have to create those leaders. And that's where there's a lot of tension. How do I switch and create people who are going to take my company to the next level? Right. I can't do it alone. So it's interesting. One thing I've always been a big proponent of, and it's funny, like I followed the Pacers when Dave played and I think Alan had mentioned it earlier, right? We kind of played the same role, right? Like I'm not a Hall of Fame guy, you know what I'm saying? Not by any stretch of the imagination, but bro, you need me on your team, no right? Question. I'm the engine, like, you know, there's the people that you got on the posters and the people who really are behind <laughs> the scenes running the organization, right? right. So, yeah, yeah. the by the trouble, the like, voices. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So that thing is like, one, I didn't just say the message, I was the message. So, so many times you get caught up because leaders, they talk a great game. The CEO, all right, guys, I don't want us to eat in this boardroom. I'm the CEO, I can eat in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. That's not a way to lead. Yeah, exactly. But they're always looking at you like, if you can't follow the message, why should we? Yeah. So I think, first of all, like being the message. And then second, I would tell you like systems and processes. Like I was very systems oriented when I played in terms of like what night I studied what. If we're going tomorrow on Tuesdays, it was like off. Wednesday was run. So Tuesday night, I'm watching games and I'm watching run footage because that's what we're practicing. And when we practice, I want to be perfect because what did that do? That gives everyone on defense confidence that, man, day one, my yeah. captain is on it, no doubt. Yeah. He knows in this formation, they're running this play. He knows the percentages. So they're looking at me like, yo, how do you get this done? Hey, this is my formula. On Monday, I'm going over run plays. This is where I look in the book. This is how I get it done. And I would give it to them. And I think by doing that, then they start developing that habit. Then Wednesday, the whole team defense is ready to play run. Then we have like a great practice. Yeah. And that builds confidence in the coaches, build confidence in the players. No question. So by the time you get to Saturday in the game, and we did this all week, we're out there like, yo, I, they don't got a chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you're yeah. modeling it. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. How do you bring that into CEOs what, at your as yeah. processes? And- yeah, same thing. One, right? This whole thing about speed of the leader determines the rate of the pack, right? So you, so you we talked about it before, right? You can't be. You can't be a five and have an organization that's an eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see so many teams like fall into this trap in the NFL, the NBA. They reward and pay a superstar who's not a leader. And then they try to make him a leader because they gave him 200 million, a bunch yeah, of money. Yeah, justify it. Yeah, he's, right. <laughs> he's still in the leader, bro. Right. <laughs> like he's 50 million a year, but he ain't the guy you want to lead your organization. Right. Right. So that's why being mindful what with CEOs about who they hire and who they promote to be that C level guy, right? In that leadership level. And then secondarily, like processes and systems, that's something that I believe in in our coach, right? You have to put processes in your in your organization because this trivial knowledge. I could do it best. No one else could do it like me. Mm-hmm. It's going to be too hard to teach them, right? You're never going to have an organization that be able to scale because you're not teaching them the processes of which everyone should be following. And you're not getting really efficiencies of doing that process over and over again. Yeah. Hey, Dave, I'm going to hit you with this next topic. It's actually, it's great because that's a great segue into to talking about the team. But this is more, I guess, leaders, teammates, mm-hmm. all combined. But how did... I want to word this the right way so it's really crystal clear. How did the best organizations that you were part of when you were playing, because this is hiring in business, but I guess I've seen professional sports and drafting, 
but the best places have a certain way that they go about bringing people in and knowing why. So the best places that you played at, like what was their mindset as far as, okay, what fits us? Because that's the whole thing is find the best fit. It's not always about the best talent. It's right. obviously finding the best fit. So unpack that a little bit from the standpoint of like the places that you played at and how they went about that as an organization. Right. Well, I think it varies, really. I mean, just depending on where the teams were at the time when we were rebuilding in New Orleans, we knew we had to get a guy like CP3, right? We had to get a guy that could come in and anchor the franchise, but also help us adapt and adjust to the style of play that the NBA was evolving to, heavy pick and roll, sitting mm. up and down. So that was key there. And then in Indy, we had a demeanor. Coach Vogel was old school in his approach in that, you know, he wanted to play big. So, you know, he was adamant about us being big and bulky and strong and playing a slower, you know, what he called smash mouth style of basketball. Yeah, defensive minded. Right, right, right. And so we were looking for guys that fit that model, that were defensive minded, that were bigger and stronger than other guys that liked being in the weight room wanted to physically beat teams on nights when maybe we couldn't quite match up skill-wise or talent-wise. Mm-hmm. Most nights we played, we had physical advantages all over the floor. Yeah, and, and he wanted to play big as possible, so we didn't necessarily adjust to the trend of, of playing small. Yeah, you know, again later in my career with you know with the Warriors and even my one year in San Antonio, both of those organizations were just about bringing guys in that could fit when I had my conversation with Steve about, you know, what my role would be with the Warriors. You know, he said, we didn't think you could pass the ball and knock down shots because we need a guy that could facilitate and make plays from, from the high post and also screen and be willing to sacrifice himself to, to help the team continue to build what, what we were building out there. So the best organizations, really good teams have an identity. It's, it's defined. It's clearly defined. Yeah not ambiguous and you find guys that fit that identity and can flourish in that identity. What about from the neck up and use maybe San Antonio and Golden State as these examples just because Kerr is kind of a disciple of Pop so obviously they do things different than a lot of other people. So what did that look like just from a character perspective of who they tried to be? It's all about accountability. Player coach teams are the best coach teams. So you got a group of guys that are accountable to one another that are dependent on one another and then ultimately trust one another to not let each other down. Yeah. It gives you the type of formula that you can go win a couple of championships with. Everybody's focused on the same singular goal. You don't allow distractions. You don't allow folks outside the locker room to influence what's going on, our preparation day by day, game by game. That's really what I think Pop has kind of mastered in terms of being able to get teams focused, get guys focused, find guys who mentally have the fortitude to hold one another accountable, Yeah, but also have the you know, self-discipline. Yeah. Because one thing I learned is they give you a lot of leeway. Uh, there's a term we use, you know, giving a guy a lot of rope, but you give the guys the leeway, you create an environment where players are comfortable, but they also understand that the environment is about work, it's about improvement, and then it's also, again, about holding one another accountable. And you don't want to let guys down. So 
And you see guys who are about, you know, you see Steph and Clay, you know, getting tons and tons of shots and getting right. their work done. Coming back coming practice. back at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and again, not everybody's work is the same on the court. So if you're not working on the court, you're working in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And if you're not working in the weight room, you're on the court. If you're not on the court or in the weight room, you're watching film with a coach on the sideline on the laptop. Right. So there's this constant idea. And then, you know, we put all the pressure on ourselves. The team we got together for those championship runs, it was championship or bust. So we couldn't afford to take days off. Mm-hmm. Couldn't afford to let nights and days and work out and shoot around, go to waste. Yeah. You know, we just didn't have any room for that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, what was Pop's phrase? He wants people that are over themselves, right? Right, right. That was the whole deal right. both, in both San Antonio and Golden State. You know, right, be egoless. egoless. Like be selfless, yeah. egoless, right. So, Gary, now as you are a CEO in the business world, you shifted gears into this new life. What does that look like for you now? So what's the DNA of somebody that's got to come work with you? I hate using the word for you. But yeah, yeah. Even though they are, but not, I mean, no, with I, you is. Yeah, I definitely think people work with me and not for me, right? That's a foolish. And more importantly, as a CEO, my mindset is I work for them. Yeah, yeah. Right. So exactly. being unselfish, but again, I think what's like vital and important is you really have like a set of core values that you work from, right? Because if I don't know who I am or what I'm looking for, then anything looks good. Exactly. But you can self-select people. If I tell you, like, hey. This is our model. We're like, we're fulfillment first and then we serve. We're innovative, right? We're solution focused, right? We have fun. We're energetic. And I tell you this, and you're like, look, bro, I'm pessimistic. I'm going to talk trash. I don't <laughs> like doing stuff the right way. I'm like, bro, you self-selected. Like, thank you. Like, I wish yeah, you the yeah. best. Appreciate it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when I'm onboarding, right, I'm making sure I'm asking my questions and developing my onboarding strategies, right, based on like what I want in my organization. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the challenging part. And this is what gets a lot of people in trouble. And you see this happen all the time, Dave, at the sports level, the GM, right? right they take what everyone thinks is that number one pick. Gets to do uh, what that pick should be, right? Yeah. But that pick, we know he doesn't line up with your identity. Yes, sir. We know he don't play defense. Yeah. We know he ain't unselfish. Yeah. But yet we're right. going to let everyone else, because he's 6'9". Yeah. We can teach him. Bro, you can't teach him this. Caught up in the sexiness. Yeah, this yeah. is who he is. Right. So we see a lot of that. And then they blame the guy. Oh, he's a bust. He ain't a bust. He showed you his resume that he ain't yeah. this dude you you yeah. put in the beast. Right? <laughs> right. And there's no different in an organization, right? When you put bring someone in on sales and then you wonder why they're successful, you'd be like, oh man, they're not that good at sales. He's borderline unethical. He likes to lie. He like like, yeah. he likes to take his clients out on drinking. Like yeah, and should have seen it coming. Yeah. Yeah. If you ain't giving the credit card, the corporate credit card, and yeah. him like working that gray area, right. he ain't the guy for you. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? And if you are that organization, then yo, he'll do phenomenal. Yeah. So just like knowing your personnel. Mm. And I think that's important in the football and in sports and in business. Like you got to know your personnel. And if you don't, right, it could get you in trouble because I think DMX, like God rest dead, but he was like, man, trust people for who they are. And and stop trying to be in situations where you try and change people. Yeah. Uh, He got these six things, but these four, I'm going to train them and get it right. Right. Not those, not those core characteristics that he got. Yeah. You ain't changing them. Yeah. And give them time. They'll show you. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it's just like, believe people when they show you who they are. Right. And then either like, it's a request or a requirement. If it's a requirement, then now we can't do business. Yeah. 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 And that ultimate vision of your organization and where you want to go is important for the hiring. Yeah, absolutely. So most people, right, they're just like, hey, I'm check to check. I'm just, you know, one day at a time. 
was like, bro, if anyone needs to have a vision, right, the CEO, right. the leader, you can't be one at a time. Yeah, <laughs> I need a 10-year plan, a five-year, a three-year, a one-year. Exactly. All right, some type of direction on where we're going to. Exactly. Right. Or else, like, you get frustrated because people, when we ask you, hey, where are we going now? Where are we going now? Mm-hmm. Like, I drive my car, right? And if I don't know where I'm going, right, give me the address. I'm going to put in my GPS. I'm going to look at the phone. Like, I don't want you in the back seat on your phone. You ain't paying attention. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Make it right here. Make it right here. <laughs> nah, bro. <laughs> like, no, I'm driving. This is where we're going. I know yeah. the direction. This is how we're going to get there. Yeah. I yeah. can tell you all how to get there. You might have a better way. I get that. But this, I'm driving. Yeah, exactly. I'm driving. This is the way I'm going. No yeah. doubt. So I think that's important that you got to have that vision and articulate that vision and communicate that with everyone that's on your team. Yeah, I love that because that's what the best places figure out on either sports world, business world, the best places, they figure that out. They crystallize it. Right. It's more than just being yeah. on the walls and the facility. Then they live it out. Yeah. Right. Because now that's when it's real. So, yeah. Peter, you want to slide to our final topic here, man? This has yeah. been great, man. Like, a, a, we really appreciate this, fellas. And so we're going to head down the fourth turn here. Yeah. So this is, this is really good. So we're going to move into like the fundamentals. You guys have both mentioned the fundamentals mm-hmm. and how important it is. I want to just expand on that a little bit. What are those fundamentals and why are the fundamentals in both business and sports on both your teams? Why were they so important? Because a lot of times we see people that are focusing on the objective, right? And this is where we want to go. But you can walk into an organization as a business coach and see that it's just chaos, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, the mission's up there, the vision's up there, but they're not hitting it. The fundamentals are really important. So I just want to throw that out there. How important are those fundamentals and why are they? Dave? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about the basis of, of all sport, at least start with sport, you, know, you got to get the fundamentals down first. And what I learned as a professional is that what really separates like the greats, so the guys who are absolutely at the top of the sport, mm-hmm. is they do the fundamentals better than everyone else. So Kobe... Ron, Michael Jordan, and Tim Duncan's of the world are more fundamentally sound in their footwork than everyone else. And they can do the fundamentals of the game, the follow-throughs, make all the types of shots, you know, because fundamentally they're completely intact. And then you know, in terms of organizations, it, it goes the same. You know, I had to learn that, and I learned this in Indy, it was that the front office and the management, the ownership, coaching staff, Everybody's got to be on the same page for mm-hmm. the basketball product to work. Yeah. And if you have a difference of opinion about fundamentally what the team should look like, how the organization should be run, what types of players you should have, you're not going to be successful. So, you know, there are teams in the NBA, right, that haven't won you know, teams in the NFL. You know, I joke about the Cleveland Browns. I said, man, I've been alive 40 years. Can't remember. <laughs> right. right? You know, so, Might be you know, 40 more. Right. At the, <laughs> at the core of it, it's the fundamentals of the game, but it's also like how in line and how in sync our organization from top to bottom or bottom to top. You've got to be fundamentally on the same page. Yeah. Meaning that your core values, what you want out of this thing, the time that you spend investing in players, investing in coaches, investing in the team in general, what everyone wants out of it has got to be the same. Yeah. And if it's not, you'll see inconsistency and more than likely you won't see a very successful organization. 
Yeah. I've heard that called, uh, the phrase I love is called vertical alignment. Mm. Right. right. So whichever way you want to start it, from the court to the offices or from the offices to the court, right. usually it's going to start up, up top. And then it's right. going to filter its way down. So court or offices, staff, players. And if that's all in the straight line, then you got a chance. Okay. That was good. Right. What are your thoughts? I mean, you, uh, you coach the fundamentals in both business and sports. Yeah, it's interesting, man. This quote by Bruce Lee, it was like, fear not the man that could do 10,000 kicks. Fear the man that does one kick 10,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like, I remember our special teams coach used to say that, right? and I hated it at the time. <laughs> but he was like, yo, don't get bored doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, don't get bored doing the right thing. And without fail, every time we see an error, Someone got bored doing the right thing. The fundamentals tell you you're in your gap, your hands are on your opponent, you're shed, you make a tackle. Anytime you try to do it on your own, you try to abort mission, right? Yeah. Things don't go right. Exactly. So it's just that discipline and that fundamentals. Like, man, I coach my kids basketball, softball, right? Football. I just, I just want to be with my kids, right? Like now being out the game, like I'm trying to like all this time, like I figure it out. Like we're doing lacrosse now. Like I'm on YouTube. I'm trying to catch this ball, right? I'm trying to figure it out. But in football is interesting. It's like my third year, but undefeated every year. And this year is the first year we played tackle. So my practice was running the same every single day, right? We're going to do the first 15 minutes of tackling, the next 10, 15 minutes of blocking. And then we're going to go into some teamwork and we're going to like exercise together. I would look to the left or to the right, the coaches, every practice, it was something different, right? right. They letting the kid right. figure out, they damn doing flea flicker. Like, <laughs> right. I didn't run, I didn't pass the ball, like, all season, like, probably once. Right. <laughs> hey, hey, coach, we're going to do flea flicker now. We're going to tackle for 15 minutes. Right, right. right. Yeah. Like 10,000 times, bro. No doubt. Yeah. Right. And it's crazy, as the season went on, like, the late in the season, they were tackling so hard. They're so consistent. And they were so advanced other other teams. And the coaches were like, yo, how does your players tackle? Like, like even the worst kid on my team who couldn't tackle like a standing pole when we started, right? He's cracking at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, how did you teach these boys? Like, because we practice it. Yeah. It's a daily yeah. discipline. No question. It's fundamentals, blocking and tackling. Yeah. If you could do that, right? All this other flea flicker stuff, it don't matter. It's a trick play. Yeah. <laughs> You can't right. build your life off trick plays, right? You got to build them on first downs or things that are consistent. And I think that's that same thing in life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So many people are looking for shiny object syndromes, right? Oh, you invest in a GameStop? Hell no, I invest in a GameStop. <laughs> it's going to drop at some point. Yeah, they, right. That's not an investment strategy. Right, right. Which is the GM mentality on the drafting. Yeah, exactly. Same deal. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, no, you have to be solid. No, I'm investing in Amazon, Tesla, Apple, right? These are solid picks. Yeah, not going anywhere. Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So and I think it's those type of mentalities that people that are shiny object syndrome, chasing everything. First week they're doing this, next week, like, so what business are you doing now? Yeah. I'm confused, right? right? But now it's just disciplines, man. It's habits. It's doing over and over again. And that's where you get right. mastery, right? And then when you get mastery, then it's effortless. Then you see players on the sideline, Peyton Manning throw the ball to Marvin Harrison. And they're like, oh my God, you see that throw? You see that catch? I'm like, I see it every day at practice, bro. This is how they practice. They did it all summer together. Yeah. You know, what are we talking about? This is new for you. Yeah. I, I've seen this for years. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in business-wise, that's what you want to create, that mastery amongst your group. And those fundamentals are key mm -hmm. to that telling them, like, yo, this is important. Like, yeah. Let's really pay attention. Let's really get this down the best as we can because this is what's going to separate us. Yeah. They tell these guys, because I laughed at this when you 
did the podcast with Andre Iguodala <laughs> about the, when you first started doing ball handling drills every day before practice. How long did that take out of your 15-year career? Who was the first team that started doing it? That we started doing ball handling drills? Yeah. That was Golden State. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce's stuff, right? Right, right. Yeah. We hadn't done that anywhere. And it was 13 years at that time, but I played 13 years. Yeah. And, you know, we're handling the ball every single day. Uh, yeah. It was just kind of the, the repetitiveness of ball handling. But it was weird because most NBA teams get away from the basics, get right. away from the fundamentals and, right. and things. But that was one of the sort of the secrets of that group mm-hmm. was that they were still working on those foundational principles that you ultimately need, right, as a basketball player. Yeah. Dribbling, passing, yeah. the shooting, and rebounding, which we did at a high level and it ultimately helped us win a couple of championships. Yeah. I remember you talking about that in that podcast with Dre just because, and, and when I heard it, I was blown away. And I'm like, 13 yeah. years into your career and this is the first club you're doing ball handling drills with every day? But right. it's mad. Now, when I was in Indy, you know, I mean, to give Dan, I'll give Dan Burke credit. We did do shell drill every single day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had historically one of the best defenses ever to play in the NBA, and it was literally because we did not miss a shell drill. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, closeouts, rotations. Yeah, shell yeah. drill every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, you put a blindfold on and go out there and get it right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I know we're wrapping up. I just the one point just came to my mind as I listened to both of you. Like, you both are top, top tier athletes, won the Super Bowl, won championships, and yet you're both talking about running the same drills over and over and over and over again, even at the top of your careers. You know, how many times do we as non athletes try one fundamental, yeah. give it a week? Yeah. And then don't do it again. Yeah, treat it like a New Year's resolution. Treat it like a New Year's resolution, right? And here we've got, so the message I'm getting is, it's just not good enough to stick a fundamental in there. Mm -hmm. You've got to continue to repeat that in your company over and over and over again. No question. Until the company, you sell the company, you guys never stop. It's not until, right? It's not until. It's, it's like, you never it's like, period. Like, right. fundamentals in your company, period. Yeah. Right. And people would look at you too and think, you could have stopped at any time. You're at the top of your game. But no. But no, there's no stopping. Yeah. It's the difference between you gotta, what you do. You've got to practice good habits. You know, you got to make it a habit of practicing good habits. That's really one of the mantras that I live by in terms of, you know, I'm like you, Gary. I coach my son. I mean, that's really one of the most fulfilling things I've done in my life is sort of coach him and work with him. And, you know, that's what I, I teach him is you've got to practice practicing good habits. you got to work at practicing good habits. It's just one of those things that, once you do it, it becomes second nature. And then it, and ultimately you can transfer it into other parts of your, your life. You know, you're ultimately disciplined in school and, you know, and in your social life. And it helps you make decisions because you're always in that mind frame of, mm-hmm. of practicing good habits, yeah. maintaining your habits. I heard Al Pacino say it as an actor. He said, repetition keeps me green. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what he meant is in the green, now that breeds creativity. Uh, yeah. So that's why the greats are special because they've mastered the simple. So now they can branch off from time to time right. because they know where their foundation is. Right. The great thing too is like they keep score. 
Absolutely. Like they have KPI, they have tracks of what they're doing, like what yeah. my percentage is. Mm-hmm. Funny story, coaching my son in soccer, right? So it's 3v3, we're playing soccer. So every game, right? Hey, we don't keep score out here, right? But they keep a score. The kids know what score is, right? <laughs> right, right? So we went and got a pretty good team. So this one game, we're getting killed, right? We're down 10 to 2. And my son comes to me and says, Dad, it don't matter if we win or lose, just if I have fun, right? I said, negative. Bro. <laughs> I, said, I said, you're losing 10 to 2. If you don't like it, do something about it. Right, go change it. We're keeping score. You're not going to practice on Monday. You're not doing the daily disciplines, bro. This is what happens. Yeah. yeah. There's no a team doubt. out there that is. No doubt. And in, in your world, right, you think you're competitive. You think you're doing everything the right way. Then you let the foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. There's someone else that's doing those daily disciplines. Doesn't take much. Bro, and when you see them, bro, it would be 10 to 2, and you'd be looking at the puppy dog face like, <laughs> right, don't, don't take much. Just want to have fun. No, we're not having fun, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's all winning. Well, fellas, I got to tell you, man, we could probably sit here all day because sure. uh, the time that we even allotted for just blew by like we knew it would. First of all, thank you guys for jumping on here. Gary, we appreciate, obviously, you letting us use your space right, right. here and then. D West, man, I mean, I don't know if we've ever had a phone call that lasted less than 45 minutes. So, uh, (laughs) so I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. Probably one of the greatest rewards as a coach for me is not just what you've accomplished in your career, but seeing the man you become, seeing the husband you become, that stuff is worth the wait for us as coaches waiting 15, 20 years to figure out if we did okay or not. (laughs) So it's been special. Watching you grow up, man, big time. So appreciate. we're going to be dropping this pretty soon on various outlets. So we're going to try to get it on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and we're going to be uh, doing some other episodes coming down the line. So Peter, if you got anything you want to wrap up with, we'll close this thing out. But uh, this has been a blast, man. This has been. A, this has been a lot of fun. I got a lot of wisdom out of this yeah. conversation. A lot. For sure. 10 pages of notes. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you all again for tuning in. We appreciate it. Again, stay tuned for episode two of the locker room and the boardroom that will be coming out soon. And you'll be able to track us on social media and all the outlets, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. We'll make sure that uh, this all gets dropped in the right places. So thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the locker room and the boardroom. All right. Thanks. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.